to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 19. First Kings 18, 1 to 19. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah with who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water, to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on his way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, It is you, my lord, Elijah. Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they would not find you. And now you say, go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. And I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth, has it not been told, my Lord, that I did what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men in the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him Today, So Obadiah went and to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, It is you, you troubler of Israel. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat of Jezebel's table. This is the word of the Lord. Turn to the scripture that we read with Tyler from 1 Kings chapter 18. After two weeks away, from 1 Kings, we come back <clears throat> to the story of Elijah that we find in this portion of Scripture. As we open God's Word, as we always do, let's stop and pray. 
and ask him to teach us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow as a congregation of priests before you. We strive to be prophets as we take your word out into the world on a daily basis. We pray, Father, as that we would be faithful prophets in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our leisure, that your word would go forth in power from our lives, that we would be light and salt in the world, not because of our personalities, but because of your word. But now we bow as priests before you, bringing our neighbors and our friends and our families, our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters in Christ, bringing them before you. Thank you, Father, for how you have blessed and answered our prayer. We pray for the families that in our congregation and community that mourn this day. We pray that you would bring comfort as only you can comfort. Bring that omnipotent comfort to bear on our lives. We pray for Billy Griggs that you would bless him. Cause him to look forward with a great hope for what you've prepared for him. Cause us all, Father, as a congregation, not to fear death, not to fear the future, for you have prepared a place for us. May that truth comfort our lives daily. May we all learn to say, looking forward with great anticipation, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. Teach us, Father, that truth, not only in our heads, but in our hearts. We pray that you would continue to protect our congregation from COVID-19. We pray that not a one will be lost to this disease. Father, protect us from it. Take it away completely. We pray that you would deliver us from the fear of this disease. Cause us in practicing all of these health measures. Cause us not to live in fear. Take away that fear. Take it away. Our Father, as we open your word now, We pray that you would teach us. John Sartell cannot teach in a way that it will make any difference in our lives. So we pray that Father, we will hear your voice, the power of the Holy Spirit in these next few minutes. Change us. Maybe some of us for the first time from the inside out. Continue that change that you wrought in us years ago. Make your word precious to us. Make it powerful to us. 
when we leave here in a few minutes, may we know that we've heard your voice. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Are you watching the chaos, the chaos and corruption that is everywhere around us? Did you watch it on the news? Are you watching it and, and you wondering what's happening? What's happening to our country? We've never seen some of these things before. The title of our message this morning, How Can We Serve God? How can we serve God in the midst of an evil antichrist culture? Let's shift our minds back into Elijah after a brief time away. Elijah did something most unusual for a godly man. He prayed. He actually prayed for a drought to engulf his own country. Why would a godly man do such a thing? His people in the northern kingdom of Israel had long abandoned the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they had followed after the Canaanite gods of Baal and Asherah. God had promised Israel when they entered the land 700 years before, he had promised them, if you follow after the Canaanite God, if you forsake me, I will send drought. I will send a famine on this land. Now, Elijah knew that promise. He had preached that promise to the people of Israel faithfully. He became jealous for God. He became jealous for the name of God. Thus, he prayed for that drought that God promised. And a drought came like they had never seen. We go through periods when it, it doesn't rain here. And it we notice it more than most folks because of the agriculture in this area and the need for rain. We might go a week or two weeks or three weeks, four weeks without rain. Imagine going three years, no rain, not a drop. Be explicit. The Bible says not even do. They didn't have even the morning dew, not a drop. We studied that, and then we asked the question, what happens when you're one of the faithful and you live in a land God is judging? We saw how God cared for his people, how he cared for Elijah, how he cared for those people, how he cared for them in a wonderful way during this drought and during this per persecution. Remember, it was not only a drought, there was persecution. Ahab and Jezebel's reign was a reign not only of immorality, idolatry, debauchery. It was a reign of terror. They not only brought the 
prophets of Baal and Asherah from Tyre and Sidon into Israel. They not only brought them in by the hundreds, they began to annihilate the prophets. Now, let's understand, they weren't just saying, you can't preach this. They were literally sending soldiers across the land and a great slaying took place of the prophets. They began a systematic persecution and eradication of the prophets of God and the word of God. Thus we ask the question, what happens when you live in the land God is judging? We answered that question. If you think about this passage, Ahab and Jezebel, we speak of the future of the Antichrist. The Bible teaches that there will be an Antichrist, but they say the spirit of the Antichrist has been with us. All through the Old Testament, we see it. Ahab and Jezebel were Antichrist figures in the Old Testament. The debauchery in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, was foreign, was loathsome to the people of, that were faithful, to the few people that were faithful to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do you live in the middle of that? That's the question for the house this morning. Not only how do you live in a country where God's judging, we've answered that. But how do you live in the middle of debauchery, corruption, how do you raise a family in that kind of wickedness? How do you serve God in the midst of a culture that's killing ministers who are faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That is what Elijah and Obadiah and the faithful people of Israel were asking. Obadiah, Elijah, how do you serve God in the midst of this? That's the same question we should be asking. As we look at a monolithic secularism that has engulfed our nation, hostile to Christianity. That's why I think the Holy Spirit brought us to the study, this study of Elijah. We are living in the midst of an Ahab and Jezebel like culture. It's not all that different. Now, some might say, well, John, the ministers of the gospel are not being killed in this country. Not yet. Not like they were in Russia. And not like they still are in China. But can you deny that there is a premeditated, forceful, intentional silencing of God's word? You can't say that. That's what the culture said to us. We're living in the midst of an Ahab and Jezebel-like culture. We are a brief generation away from ministers being, pulpits being forcefully silenced if you say something against the popular doctrines of abortion, popular doctrines of homosexuality, 
of saying something so hateful as Jesus being the only way of salvation. Saying something so demeaning as saying that we are born sinners, sinners by nature. If you don't see a parallel between our culture and the culture of Ahab and Jezebel, then you are terribly, terribly naive. So in this environment, how do we serve God on a daily basis? I had that question asked to me this week several times. How how do you serve God in the midst of this? You know, I was intending to skip these verses about Obadiah. I wanted to stick with this main heroic character, Elijah. Elijah, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. But as I read about Obadiah and read these first few verses in chapter 18, as I watched these two men serve God in the midst of that, I had to look at these verses. I had to look at Obadiah. And you think about Elijah for a minute. His path was plain, wasn't it? He was the prophet. He was the prophet of all prophets in Israel at that time. How was he serving God? He prayed for God's name to be feared and honored. He preached, actively preached, that a drought was coming because of their sin. He prayed for a drought to come. He was preaching from God's word, by the way. You know, just as I'm preaching from God's word this morning, and that's what we want when we come here. He was opened his word. It wasn't his opinion. He was actually preaching from the scroll, the scroll of Deuteronomy, the word of God. And he was going back to the promises God had made about a drought. He was serving God in that preaching. He was serving God as he went to Ahab and said, a drought has started. It's not going to rain for three years. He was serving God as he followed those exact directions to go to the brook at Kerah and then to Sidon. But now Obadiah, who's Obadiah? This is not the prophet Obadiah that wrote the book of Obadiah. It's not the same man. Obadiah was quite different. He was not a prophet. Obadiah was a businessman. He organized and ran Ahab's personal business and official business. He was a chief of staff. He oversaw his Ahab's massive and diverse household. Now, how in the world, ask yourself this, how in the world could Obadiah serve God in that position? Now, I was amazed as I read commentaries. Commentaries of men, I'm not going to mention names, but commentaries of men that I greatly admire. I have their books, their commentaries on my shelves. And they spoke of Obadiah as being compromised. Some of them did, not all of them. They spoke of Obadiah as being an enabler. They spoke of Obadiah as someone that lacked the backbone to confront Ahab. They said this in spite of of the testimony of God's word that says exactly the opposite. Go back and look at verse 3. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household, over the household of Ahab. 
Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Stop there for a minute. It doesn't say he simply feared the Lord. Do you see that? I think God knew that people were going to say, you know, he's working for Ahab. How could he be in close association like that today? It said he feared the Lord greatly. I would love for God's word to say that about me. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. This man risked his life every day for three years. He was hiding and caring for the prophets, the very men Jezebel wanted to kill. If Ahab or Jezebel even had a hint of what he was doing, he would have been toast. His whole, his entire family would have been annihilated. But we see this all through scripture. Godly men and women who work in close geographical proximity, in close proximity to evil, to evil people. Joseph, think about him. He was not a prophet. He was the viceroy of Egypt under Pharaoh, a wicked and pagan king. Moses was educated where? In Pharaoh's palace every day as he was growing up. Daniel worked for whom did Daniel work most of his life? Nebuchadnezzar, a great king, but a wicked man, a pagan king. Daniel was his right-hand person. Esther a faithful and godly lady of Israel, was queen to the Persian king Xerxes, a pagan. Think about the whole nation of Israel, those that were carried into exile. They were down in Babylon not for a few days. They were in Babylon the rest of their lives. They were in Babylon for 70 years trying to serve God there in that proximity with a pagan city. Ezra, the scribe, worked under king Artaxerxes. Paul tells us in Philippians that he closes the book by saying that there were Christians, godly people, Christians that were in the palace of Caesar. Yes, Obadiah worked for a pagan and he served God there. Obadiah was not compromised. There's not a hint of that. He was doing what godly people do is they live in a fallen depraved and debauched world. There's even more testimony in Scripture about Obadiah being faithful to God. Look at, look at the seventh verse. Let's just read through this. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your Lord, Elijah, behold, Elijah is here. And Obadiah said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my Lord is not sent to seek you. And when they would say, he's not here, he would take an oath on the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you come to me and say, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you to I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me 
Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, that what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by the fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go to your Lord and say, behold, Elijah's here. He will kill me. First, those who think hey, that Obadiah was compromised, look at this and they say, it says there that he feared for his life. Elijah told him what to do and he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm afraid for my life. Is it a sin fear for your life? Is it a sin to fear for your life? He had been walking a tightrope for three years. Of course he feared for his life. Any godly person would have. Ahab had searched high and low for Elijah in Israel. Not only in Israel. He had searched all the countries around Israel and made the kings in those countries promise by oath that Elijah was not there. And Obadiah is saying here, so I'm walking down the road inside of Israel and I happen into you, Elijah. Are you trying to get me killed? Ahab will think that you have been here in Israel the whole time and that I knew it. I'm a dead man. And what happens when I tell Ahab you're here and the Spirit of the Lord takes you away again to I know not where? Ahab's going to kill me. Now, does Elijah look at Obadiah and say, Obadiah, you are such a wimp. I can't believe you. Does he say, you're such a coward? He just says, Obadiah, friend, as the Lord God of Israel that you and I love and worship, as he is alive and living, this day I will show myself to Ahab. I assure you. And we read in this passage, the passage we just read, we read it. He, he had known the Lord from childhood. So let's have done with any notion that this man was compromised. That's not what Scripture teaches. And if you work in proximity with the world, I promise you that some Christians who isolate themselves totally are going to say you're compromised. So let's understand. First, Obadiah was called to serve God in a most difficult place and time, as God's people are often called to do. We've seen it's all through Scripture. Go back to verse 2 and 3 and look at it. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over his household. He was chief of staff. He saw and rubbed shoulders with Ahab and Jezebel every single day. He was not way behind the front lines. You know, uh, Elijah had a different calling. There was a difference between Elijah and Ahab. After Elijah confronted Ahab, after he told him there'd be a drought, after the drought started, God said, I'm taking my word out of Israel. That's part of the judgment. But I've got to hide you to do, I'm going to hide you. You're not going to go preach in Samaria. And he took him out to the banks and hid him. And after that, he, he went to, took him to Sidon, completely out of the country. But that's not what God called Obadiah to do. Obadiah 
had also been called. Understand this. He had been called by God to do that. He was a gifted businessman. God gave him those gifts. In the providence of God, he was Ahab's chief of staff. His calling was tedious. And he had to serve God at Ahab's shoulder every step of the way in before Jezebel. Here he was hiding and caring for the very prophets Jezebel was seeking to kill. On Monday, he did not know if he would be alive on Tuesday morning. Both men were called by God. And one of them was called to work in the very palace of the evil people. Both men called by God. One a businessman, one a prophet. Do you get that? When I was a teenager, I would hear from the pulpit a call to serve God full time. I would hear, you need to enter. I'm sure some of you did. You heard it. You need to enter full time service of Jesus Christ. What, what did that mean? It meant that you need to be a minister. You need to be a missionary. Full time. What did that imply? It was an awful thing. The implication was that the butcher, the baker, the plumber, the lawyer, the banker, they weren't in full-time Christian service. That's what the minister was implying. The minister was saying, if you're going to serve God genuine and complete, you must be some kind of minister. That's why people look at this passage and say, Elijah was really, truly serving God. Obadiah, he was compromised. Let me ask you a question. Just God, really? Really? God looks at us and says, I'm just calling you to part-time service. I'm just calling you to serve me part-time. You can't find that in the scripture. God says, he doesn't say love me part-time. You can't find it. Whether we're ministers or welders or farmers or teachers or salesmen or bankers or soldiers or contractors, we are all called by God. To serve God full time in our specific locations where he has placed us. Our specific vocations where he has placed us. Folks, wake up. Listen to me. We have seen from the first sermon on Elijah a parallel to our culture. You say to me sometimes, God, John, thank you for preaching God's word. That's what God's called me to do, to preach God's word directed and led by the Holy Spirit week after week after week. I'm supposed to be faithful that way, no matter what culture is saying. You know, in a culture that's adopted abortion, to say, no, that's, that's killing a child, God's not going to bless that. He's going to judge this nation. To say in the face of sexual perversity, homosexuality, homosexuality is evil. So is adultery, by the way. To be faithful to God's word. You've said to me, thank you for doing that. But what's on the other end of that? You leave here Sunday, you leave here today, and you're going to go out this week and live in your vocations 
among the Ahab and Jezebels of this world. You will go to work. You will live in a society with people and systems who hate the gospel. I was thinking about this when I was writing this. I've heard this over and over again from people in those situations. Do you know how hard it is to keep a job? No, how hard it is to get a job as a Christian, as a faithful Christian in a state university because of all the questions that are asked? Do you know how hard it is to keep a job in a state university? Go to a state university and try publicly, openly advocating a biblical view of the family. Marriage between a male and female. Marriage created by God for men and women. Advocating a a biblical view of marriage. Try going there and, and giving a biblical, touch going openly at the university and giving a biblical view on abortion. Try saying in a discussion that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Try stating that homosexuality is a sin. What's so encouraging about this passage, folks, is Obadiah was called to serve God hour after hour, day after week after week, in the palace of Ahab. So the next question is, what does that look like? How do you do that? It's not complicated. Obadiah, so we've seen Obadiah was called to serve God in the most difficult place, time and place. Obadiah, secondly, served Ahab as a wise and honest. Get this. He served Ahab as a wise and honest businessman. And at the same time, he served God. What did he do for Ahab? He kept his books. He oversaw the ordering and distribution of everything in the palace. The irony is that Ahab, probably the irony is is that Ahab trusted Obadiah with this. He said, you know, I can trust Obadiah with this. And what made him trust him? Because he was a man of integrity. Why was he a man of integrity? Because he was a godly man. I read a story one time of a little boy who was at the beach and he had been given a dollar and he he wanted to go in, but he didn't know what to do with his dollar. He wanted to go swim. And he went to two or three people and you know what question he asked him? He said, do you go to Sunday school? And he found a person that said yes and he said, will you call my dollar for it? That's Ahab was doing. Ahab, we didn't know what Obadiah was doing, how faithful he was. But unwittingly, he was trusting a man because that man served God. What was Obadiah doing when he ran into Elijah? He was looking for water for Ahab's livestock. He was not breaking any of God's commandments when he did so. So that was his service to Ahab. Then how would Obadiah serve God? Jesus tells us, folks, it's very simple. Look at Matthew 22, 25 on your scripture sheet. 
And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love God and love your neighbor. Every commandment, every commandment is covered in those two commands. If you love God, you're not going to take his name in vain. You're going to worship him as you should. You're not going to have idols in your life. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet. You're not going to murder. You're not going to steal. Love God, love your neighbor. It's that simple. Obadiah loved God and he loved his neighbor all the while working for Ahab. A young lady came to see me. This happened years ago, but I'll never forget it. This young lady came to see me and she was on fire. She, she knew the Lord. She was a part of a college and career ministry. And she, she said, you know, I want to be in a job. She said, Everyone around me is a Christian. I want to be in a job where I'm in. A, I'm out of the world. I'm with non-Christians. I want to be salt and light out there. And she prayed for that. I mean, she was already praying for that when she came to see me. Shortly after that, sure enough, she got a job. And there was not a single Christian in the place where she worked. It was, an, it was not an ungodly business, but it was just the people there were not Christians. About a year went by. She came to see me again. She said, John, I've got to get out of and I said, what's wrong? She said, I, I've got, I want to work around Christians. And I said, wait a minute. You came to me, last time I saw you in this office, you came to me and said, you wanted to go work out in the world. She said, yes, but it, it's tough. And I asked her a question. I said, do you think that you're being faithful in the middle of that ungodliness? Or do you think you're being unfaithful? I said, are you being Salt and light there. She said, I think I'm being salt and light. They know I'm a Christian. I said, you need to think about that. Jesus made a point of saying that he was not praying for his disciples to be taken out of the world. Look at John 17. We're almost done here. John 17, verse 14. Now, this is prayer, an intimate prayer that Jesus is praying to the Father. This is the Son of God speaking to the Father. He says, I have given them, the them being my disciples, I have given my disciples your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world. I did not ask that you, Father, take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Notice that he doesn't pray for us to go to the monastery and be completely isolated from the world. He says, I want them in the world. Just keep them from the evil one. Protect them. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. Now I imagine that Obadiah would have enjoyed an employer more like King David or more like King Josiah. I'm sure he would have preferred them to Ahab. But God raised up a godly civil servant to work in a palace of a wicked king to save a hundred faithful servants. People, that's awesome. I mentioned Mordecai or Esther earlier in the message, and we'll close with her. Esther's uncle was Mordecai. 
He had raised her. They were part of the exiled Jews living in Persia. In God's strange and complex providence, Esther became king, or Esther became, not king, Esther became the wife of King Xerxes. She was the queen of Persia. The king and court did not know she was Jewish, and a plot had been hatched and was being carried out that would annihilate the whole Jewish population of Persia, just like what the Germans tried to do in the Second World War. Mordecai, they're going to kill all the Jews, young and old. Mordecai sent a message to Esther and told her to talk to the king. He didn't understand what was happening. Well, the king was in court. In Persian law, you could not go to the king, no matter what it was, no matter, you couldn't go to the king and make recommendations or anything else unless he, you were asked to do so, unless he requested your presence. In fact, it was a death penalty to do that. And Mordecai sent a message and said, you've got to go to the king. You've got to risk everything and go to the king. And then he said this. It's in Esther 4.14. It's on your scripture sheet. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That is exactly what we could say, what God could say to Obadiah. And to Elijah, two completely different men, one a prophet, the other a businessman, a civil servant, one a firebrand facing down Ahab's evil, the other a quiet servant that was quietly doing a great work in saving lives. Of both men, we can say, who knows, but that you have come to your position for a time such as this. So this week, as you're besieged by all this news, corruption, rioting, all this stuff, Know this. As we're surrounded by a secular culture, racing away from God's word, a culture that hates God's word, we're in the midst of a war for the soul of this country. You know that. How can we serve God in the midst of the evil? In the midst of this culture. We do it this way, what men and women have always done. Love God first with all you have, with all you are, and love your neighbor. Who knows? Who knows? It may be that you were put in your position for a time like this. Our hymn is a hymn that we sung and the first message that we had about Elijah, and I want to come back of it this morning. What a great, great hymn. A hymn so encouraging. How firm a foundation.